I'm Luke Simmons. And I'm Seth Trout. And we are here to critique the hell out of culture. All right. Well, welcome back to the King and Culture podcast. Seth, it's good to be together. And uh, we're kind of back in a little bit more of a normal routine. Back in the old groove, which is every other week. If we do it. If we do it. <laughs> yeah, so we're no longer uh, debriefing the sermons uh, from Sunday. That was a fun run, uh, but we're kind of going to get into some other conversations. So I'm guessing there might be some people that, you know, kind of mostly started listening to this during that last series. And so um, let's maybe just mention this because we, we try every so often to remind people. When we say we're here to critique the hell out of culture, what are we saying? Part of what we're getting at is the biblical story begins with Genesis 1 and 2 that there is a unity of heaven and earth, that the dwelling place of God was a dwelling place of man, that God prepares the earth for humans to dwell, that he'd be among them and with them. And so when we talk about the word heaven, um, the Bible uses that word two ways. One, referring to like the skies or the up there place, the heavens, which are above the earth. But also heaven can such a metaphorical meaning, but the more a concrete sense is actually God's presence. And so obviously in the human mind, the up there place, the skies and the place where God is, those overlap tremendously, partly because we think of the things above as being the things of God. So heaven is the place where God is. But however, the opposite of heaven would then be hell. Now hell could be seen again in two ways. Hell could be the place below, right? This uh, metaphor, a lot of the metaphors in the Old Testament for hell have to do with like the pit, yep, right? Being in the ground, uh, the place of the dead, the realm where life is not. So it's unlife. It is the realms of the dead. Uh, but also hell is this place of uh, torment for people who die in their sins apart from Jesus who aren't interested in being forgiven for their sins. Well, and I think of Second Thessalonians 1 where it talks about um, being away from the presence of the Lord is a description of hell. Yes, yeah, it's the absence of the presence of God. So if, hell's where, if heaven's where God is, hell's where God is not. Now, obviously, God is everywhere in like the omnipresence sense, but it's the absence of God's blessed presence, his personal presence, yeah, his sure. fatherly presence. But there's another way that we could talk about hell, which is just the places where things are not as they're supposed to be from creation. So the way in which the world has been conformed to ungodliness, uh, the places in which there is even like creational apostasy, right, where DNA is not doing what it should, you know, in that sense, cancer is hellish yep. uh, division in marriage is hellish uh, abuse is her- hellish uh, idolatry is hellish and so there's you could use the words heaven and hell in the adjectival sense describing things as heavenly like this is yeah like that's inappropriate to to take part in an um, immaculate meal that feels like a foretaste of the new creation mm-hmm. it's not inaccurate to say this is heavenly sure like conversely right to suffer tremendously to be oppressed by ideologies or by institutions, describing that as hellish is also not inaccurate. So those words are used a variety of ways, but we talk about critiquing the hell of culture. We're saying we want to draw attention to the ways that we are not fully living into the way that God designed things and the ways in which we are falling short of his heart for creation's goal, the end of history, when God makes all things new. And so there are hellish things all over the place, heavenly things all over the place. But when Jesus returns and makes all things new, there will only be heavenly things. Great. So that kind of gives you a little bit of a feel for where we're going with this. Um, I'm always just reminded that that the hellish things are also in us. 
And so this critiquing the hell out of culture isn't lobbing bombs out there, but it's also kind of holding the mirror up to ourselves. Yeah, I'm a part of the culture. You're part of the culture. Yep. We Every person is a culture maker. Yep. We subdue and have dominion in healthy, in healthy and holy and unholy ways all the time. Yep. And so we are we are part and parcel, complicit is a word, with uh, the culture. And so yep. one of the things Christians do that is hard is sometimes you talk about there's the church and there's the culture. But the church is part of the culture, and the culture is part of the church. And rather than speaking those things in binary black and white terms, recognizing that the church is a mixed bag of good and bad, sure. just like the culture is a mixed bad of bag of good and bad. And some of what's good in the culture, the church is responsible for, and some of what's bad in culture, the church is responsible for. Yeah. So today we're talking about taking the Lord's name in vain. And uh, before I was a Christian, I... Um, you know, I, I was a, I was a pretty good kid. I was good around my parents and they were school teachers. So they were around a lot. But one of the things that I developed before I knew Christ was a pretty foul mouth. And, uh, actually I remember one time, I remember a number of times in high school, this friend of mine, uh, and I were trying to quit swearing. And so we had this thing where if one of us caught each other swearing, we had to do push ups, And so we we're just getting pretty that explains your barrel chestedness. <laughs> yeah, we, we got pretty strong in the Cherry Creek High School cafeteria doing push-ups. Um, you know, so I become a Christian, and and pretty quickly, actually, my my language changed, and I I quit, you know, using Jesus Christ as a swear word, and I quit using other you know forms of God's name as swear words, and I have to say, I kind of thought, well, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Check. Like, nailed it like there's plenty of commandments in the bible that i'm struggling with that isn't one of them and i'm guessing that through this conversation i'm going to find out that that perhaps there's more to it than just that yeah i from time to time will joke with people in the gym who will stub their toe and go like oh god and i'll say are you praying is everything <laughs> i didn't know you're religious are you praying and they like i bet they I bet they really appreciate they that. They really appreciate that, yeah. They're basically all Christians now because I've shamed them for, <laughs> yeah, perfect. for their experts. So we're talking about taking the Lord's name in vain. Um, why are we talking about this? Well, one, it's part of the Ten Commandments. Okay. Yeah, I just want to read this. So it's good to talk about God's word, reason number one. There's okay. more interesting reasons coming up soon. But I just want to read Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless. Who takes his name in vain. So sounds important. Sounds important. Yeah. We don't want to be held guilty by the Lord. That sure. sounds like a good thing. Reason number one. Number two is there is this a couple of major moves within a broader Christianity and culture where people are taking the Lord's name in vain all the time, but they I don't think they know that that's what's happening. Huh. Right. So So this conversation may just help shed some light on some ways where we're going, hey, actually you know, we're, we're maybe in more danger here of this than we realize. Yeah. Like it's, this happens in Christian culture all the time. You know, guy asks girl on date. She prays about it and says, I don't think God wants me to. Right. When is what she should have said was, I don't want to. <laughs> right. Sure. Right. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. Right. It's, it's, it's hiding our will behind God's will. Okay. Right. So that's like one ordinary way that we take the Lord's name in vain. And we'll it, talk about some more as we go through yeah. here. Another example would be there's this whole movement, especially within um, like tell like if anybody listening to this watches a lot of like church on TV type stuff, televangelism, uh, even a lot of like radio, there's this kind of word of faith or prosperity gospel type movements where there is like this, um, I apply God's name to my will and therefore I, I get it. 
mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. uh, dear Lord Jesus, I wanted Mercedes in Jesus name. Amen. Yeah. Right. And you're, you're just kind of asking for worldly fleshly desires and saying in Jesus name, amen. At the end, you're kind of trying to apply Jesus name to your desires apart from even the call to follow Jesus. And so, um, but even like within that, there's like this view that, um, if I say the right prayers, if I do it the right way, uh, even I've talked to some like older, more experienced Christians who are really caught up in praying the right way. Yeah. Like here's the right way to pray. Now Jesus does tell us here's how to pray. Right. But it's, that's like more like revealing dispositions of the heart, general patterns for praying broadly and widely and, and deeply. So this is a big deal to God. And it's maybe one of the harder things to see. So yeah, that, that's worth having a conversation on. So yeah, there, but there's also just this move within the broader culture towards paganism, or mm. which is another way of talking about like magic, like yeah. Wiccanism, the occult. And I don't think that that like a lot of people who are practicing paganism would not walk around saying like, "Hello, I'm a pagan." Um, but there is like this energy universe view that I can put out the right vibes. And if I put out the right vibes, then I will receive the right vibes Mm. and this interacting with the universe. And what ends up happening is the universe is an energy or a force that's controlled by my energy or my force. And so a lot of what we're getting at is this view that one of the things that's unique to Christianity is that you cannot manipulate God, Mm. that you can't get him to do what you want by saying the magic words, the abracadabras, right? The the spells, the incantations, the I can't vibe, put out the right vibes and get what I want from God. God's not a force, an energy that I can master or control. And I think especially for a lot of like younger folks who are more inclined towards like the soaking up the sun's energy, Sedona, rocks, mm-hmm. you know, crystals, powers, sure. luck, uh, even... Like I'm seeing a lot of my peers more and more captivated by, uh, like what's the like I'm a Libra, you know what I'm talking about mm-hmm. the astrological yeah, what, signs, yeah, your that, signs, yeah, yeah, signs that like these different people. Like I heard overheard someone in the public pool the other day. These two ladies who are enjoying themselves uh, to the point of excess, you know, <laughs> the big no alcohol signs, you know, did not apply. And this lady was talking about, yeah, my boyfriend and I broke up. You know, well. He was an Aries and I was a, a Taurus. What was what was I supposed to do? Yeah. You know, like, okay. well, obviously this is where it was headed because yeah. the universe's energies were... F- and so this... Yeah, like- this is maybe another conversation, but I do think it's interesting that as, as Christianity in America declines, people aren't necessarily becoming more atheistic. Yes. They're becoming more kind of spiritual but not religious, which feels like kind of this thing you were talking about here. Yeah, the, and and that can't help but influence even those of us who are Christians. Yeah, we there's not a single person in the church who's not heavily affected and influenced by culture. The question is, are we aware of it? Are we taking hold of it? Are we trying to take those thoughts captive, make obedient to Christ, or are we being swept up in it? But our friends and neighbors are very often now being influenced. Now, whether they're LDS, whether they're formally non-religious but spiritual, whether it is even you know, politics is replacing religion in a lot of ways in terms of people's ultimate allegiances. But this idea of labeling, so here's here's where I started to think about this recently, is uh, I went and did a funeral at a church, and that 
church I did the funeral at had this uh, flag up, the new, the ne- the newest rendition of the pride flag, right? The okay, the pride flag initially had was just rainbow, right, right, and it was gay pride. Yep. It was like the flag, right? But then recently, in the last couple of years. Yeah, there's new stripes. There's, there's addition, kind of the triangle. Yeah, there's addition number two. Like it went from like stripes to like now there's this triangle that includes like a pink and a gray stripe that's trans. So now it's not gay pride, but it's like LGBT yep. pride mm-hmm. or, or queer pride, right? Because we want to be inclusive of right. everything like that. But now there's a third edition. And this is what was on the church was it was the, the pride flag plus the trans inclusion stripes plus black and brown stripes for the indigenous lives matter. Black yep. Lives Matter, Trans Lives Matter, L and G Lives Matter. Yep. Right. And so it's like the which lives matters flag, right? Is sure. It's the way I, I shorthand. And it was about. hanging prominently. Hanging prominently in place of where you'd ordinarily see a cross, something like that. But I was just noticing the iterations of labeling. Huh. Right. Yeah. Interesting. That people who are putting up that flag are identifying with causes. And not only just identifying with causes, like I mean, people would put up a an ASU flag. Sure. Right. But mm-hmm. I have yet to see someone put up an ASU flag who's like, no, I am a sun devil. <laughs> right. This is not a joke. That's who, like. Sure. And if someone put up a U of A flag, they're like, you can't work here. Right. Unless you put up the ASU flag. Right. So, it's like there's, but like on that kind of leftist side, you know, the which lives matter flag is what I'm going to call these things. But then I started noticing on the right, you have iterations of these flags similarly, hmm. right? First, you have the the Blue Lives Matter flag, right, which is the black and white flag with the thin blue line. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right. That was largely produced by people who are going, yes, Black Lives Matter, also cops are murdered, mm-hmm. right? So Blue Lives Matter too. Right. Yeah. You know, which is, it's just interesting that the flag, like no one's putting a Black Lives Matter flag and a Blue Lives Matter flag together, which one of my favorite cheeseburgers are black and blue burgers, you know? So, <laughs> but you, you don't see anyone with a car stick bumper stickers that say Blue Lives Matter and Black Lives Matter. Like right. everyone, it's uh, it's one of the other. But then that flag evolves and now it's not just a thin blue line. Now it's a blue line and a red line. Red representing first responders, firefighters, EMTs. Yep. Um, but then I saw another iteration of the flag, which has a green stripe. Okay. I don't know if I've seen that one. Just mil- yeah, it's one of my neighbors has it. One That's my- military? Yeah, it's military. Uh, yeah, jet broadly military. Okay. I don't know if Coast Guard's included in that or not. No no offense, Coast Guard. Uh, uh, you know, I won't tell my father-in-law. He's a retired Coast Guard. Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it's not. I yeah. can't I can't affirm it, and I. Okay. So you have these flags, you know, which is military lives matter, first responders lives matter, blue lives matter, black lives matter. Indigenous people's lives matter, trans lives matter. And then you have the which lives matter flags. And, and all they're these, all evolving. They're all evolving. And part of it is like, but there's a strong identification with I'm taking this on, like I'm putting it on my house. It's the flag I wave. It's a way I want to be identified publicly. Hmm, sure. It's There's very much like a being marked in identification with causes. Yeah. Right? Okay. Which is very fundamental to me as a human. And so when we think of the word take the Lord's name in vain, a lot of times we think about that as cursing, stubbing your toe, saying GD, yep. or something like that. But taking on the Lord, you could translate that, do not take on the Lord's name in vain. Huh, okay. Meaning, if you're going to wave this flag, yep. 
the name of the Lord, you could translate the word Lord Yahweh. If you're going to put the, the name of Yahweh on your lips, if you're going to say, I'm a follower of Yahweh, if you're going to say, the Lord is my primary per- place or person of identification, yep. do not take that in vain. Meaning, mm. kind of be sober about what you're signing up for. Yeah. Don't go around throwing the Lord's name around. So in that sense, the, the Lord's name is not just the articulation of syllables coming out of your mouth, but it's it's the Lord's name is his person, who he is, what he represents, um, the identity you have in him. To be a, a carrier of his name is to be, in a sense, waving the, the God flag, waving yeah, well, the Jesus flag. Yeah, and we don't literally, I mean, there is like a Christian flag out there. Yeah. We don't literally mean that, but you kind of with your life saying, I'm I'm being identified. I'm being marked by Jesus. He's who I identify with. That is carrying the Lord's name, and so the command isn't to not do that. The command's to not do that in vain. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think it's just it's so natural for humanity. And this is even like this politics replacing religion thing that you, these evolving iterations of the flags on on either side of this discussion. You know, which all these people we're talking about are made in the image of God, and all of these. People are worthy of dignity and respect and value, and all of these people contribute to society in various ways. And so, like, there's an element of truth in all of these flags, but there's also like this ultimacy mm-hmm. that is not true in any of any of these flags. And so, even just like this, the orthodoxy that gets enforced, right? That if someone's going to wave this flag, then they have to sign up for all these different things to be inclusive of that, right? You even have. Um, certain non-white people who, if they don't have the right political views, are like discussed in the political media as like not really being yeah. what they say they are. Sure. Um, likewise, you have all these like conservatives endlessly deciding who's really conservative and who's just a rhino and who's just being. And so right. there's like orthodoxy being developed, and so it's part of our human, like part of the way God designed us is to have these ultimate identifications or ultimate identification mm-hmm. of going, I'm only can take on one flag that hangs above all the other flags. Like even if you, like this is true in the U.S., that if you're going to hang an American flag, it has to be higher than all the other flags you're hanging or waving. Mm-hmm. Right? If you're going to put up an Arizona flag and a U.S. flag, the Arizona flag can't be above the U.S. flag. If you're going to put up a U.S. flag and a Canada flag, the U.S. flag has to be above the other one. I mean, I don't know what has to means. I don't know if they're going to come write you a ticket. But sure. it's just you honor the primary flag uh-huh. is the idea. And I think in the Christian life, the primary flag, the highest flag, the banner you wave is the name of the Lord. Yeah. And that's predominantly metaphorical. And they're going, do not put this flag up unless you're willing to like be marked by this flag and walk in this flag. And but, so, but the call to follow Jesus really is a call to be marked by that flag, so to speak. It's yes. to go like, I mean, this is not saying, okay, then have no flags. <laughs> it's saying, no, be marked by, have the identity, have your flag be Jesus, right? He's the one that, he's the banner over your life. But then be careful of of flying that flag in vain. So I'm curious, just even the phrase in vain, you know, when I think of just how we use that phrase, if we ever use it as like, oh, I believed the, the Broncos were going to win, but I believed in vain. Like it, I thought it was going to happen, but my my thought was, it didn't peter out. It didn't happen. Um, is that what we mean? Like, like b- believe in vain. I mean, that's just kind of an, or, or take the Lord's name in vain. That's, that's kind of a, uh, I don't know. It's a funky phrase. It's not something we use a lot. Yeah. So the, the root word in Hebrew most basically means worthlessly. So don't, don't do it in a thin way. Okay. Right. Don't, 
don't just toss it out there like it's not something very significant, right? Don't go on a first date and say, I love you, when what you meant to say is, this was a good time. Sure. You know, like, don't don't throw those meaningful words out like they don't mean what they mean. But the other thing, like, in vain also has, like, strong connotations with, like, legitimate magic or magical oaths. Mm. Okay. So, so don't take it as an incantation, right? So uh, I'm reading the Hebrew and Aramaic lexicon of the Old Testament, which is the best Old Testament lexicon. And the first meaning is worthless, uh, but the third, the second meaning has to do with like a different way of saying worthless or unrestrained, meaning don't be careless in the way you toss it around. Hmm. What makes me think a little bit of Ecclesiastes where he keeps saying vanity, vanity, everything's vanity. Yes. And it's it's all the wind, right? It's it's emptiness, it's nothingness, it's it's the wind, right? So to to take the Lord's name in vain is to kind of carry the banner of Jesus as though it were just the wind, as though it were thin, as though it were small and just vaporish. Yeah. Yeah, but the, so the meaning that I think most applies here is the third meaning is the word for magic or incantation. Okay. Meaning which could be very similar like the way we use the word vanity. Like if vanity is like meant to project an image mm-hmm. to control what other people think and believe about you. Yeah. Uh, so it'd be like a... So this is kind of don't take the, na- the Lord's name as good luck. Yeah, don't use it as good luck. Don't use it as a personal branding project. Mm. Right, and that's less and less the case in the U.S. But like, you know, back in the day... It was, it'd be harder to get a job if you weren't a Christian, right? Oh, you're a Christian. And so same, like basically all politicians say somehow take the Lord's name in vain if they're not really Christians. Sure. Right. I think all the, all the politicians say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. And it's like, how true is that? Right. Most of them, I think it's total garbage, but it's like my personal brand, public opinion looks more favorably on people who say I go to church. So I'm going to say I go to church. And so it's, self-branding it's it's a form of um, projecting an image so it's taking it in vain i want to be associated with this so i'm going to be associated with this so it's mm-hmm. it's that uh using the association for your personal benefit without real desire to submit to the association so in high school when i uh had a wwjd bracelet what would jesus do yeah uh to the degree i was wearing that to remind myself of what Jesus would do and try to walk faithfully with him, I was not taking the Lord's name in vain. But to the degree I think you're saying that I was kind of wearing it to make sure everyone knew I was a Christian and to kind of look good to people, even if I wasn't really all that concerned about what Jesus would do, at that point then I'm starting to take the Lord's name in vain in the wearing of that bracelet, for example. Yeah, if you're going, hey, this is going to help me in the social hierarchy or this is going to help me be seen the way I want to be seen. Yep. This isn't really about me submitting to the Lord. This is about me using the Lord's name to further my own agenda. Yeah, this is a magic bracelet now. Yeah. I'm I'm applying these magic words to get what I want. Okay. And this don't take the Lord's name in vain has more to do with don't wave the Jesus flag for personal gain unless you have every intention to really submit to Jesus in all things. Are there other um, things that come to mind when you think about kind of us using the Lord's name in kind of magical ways? I think all the time we get confused between our will and God's will. Hmm. Like I was talking to, um, this is probably six years ago, I was talking to a lady at a coffee shop in Tempe, and she was saying, she was telling me about 
her various sexual exploits and how she was feeling guilty about it for a long time. But then she prayed and asked God if it was okay for her to keep doing it. And God didn't say no. Okay. So she took the silence as approval. Okay. So now I don't feel guilty anymore about my sexual rebellion. And so she's taking what she wants and applying God's name to assuage her guilt so she can keep doing what she wants. Yeah. And I think that we do that in our hearts and minds all the time. Like I'm talking to someone who uh, really didn't want to uh, do a certain medical procedure. Okay. Right. And like, I just don't want to do it. Uh, Various reasons, various issues. Uh, But they want to say, God doesn't want me to do it. Hmm. Yeah. And it just is a really slippery slope when you start saying, what do you want versus what does God want? Yeah. And I think it happens too when we change jobs, right? We'll say, I'm feeling led to sure. leave Boeing and go to Honeywell. I'm feeling led to mm-hmm. leave Redemption Gateway and go to a different church. I'm feeling led to uh, change my giving numbers. I'm feeling led to quit this small group and do something else. I'm feeling led to. Well, and it's interesting because it's a bit of a conversation ender. Yeah. You know, it doesn't invite any any of the plurality that oftentimes makes up good wisdom and good spiritual discernment. Cause it's like, well, God already led me. God already told me case closed. Yeah. So, and, I, and I feel like if someone's going to say that you might as well, like you better be really sure. Yeah. Otherwise that's kind of what you're saying. Otherwise you are taking the name, the name of the Lord in vain. Yeah. I'm feeling you know, led to go on this diet. I'm feeling led to not go on this diet. I'm feeling led to like, we use that. I'm feeling led to language all the time. I remember one time being in an environment um, it was kind of this group counseling kind of ministry environment. And I was kind of going through a training experience for it. And this guy that I barely knew said to me, I just feel really led by the spirit to ask you, are you having an affair? And I was so offended, like both by no, I'm not. But also like, if that's really the spirit of God, how about you just ask, are you having an affair? But instead, you doctored it up with, I'm feeling really led by the Spirit to ask you this. as it, it felt like a kind of grab for a sort of authority or a grab for a kind of power. Um, and it's like, if I was having an affair and you ask, and the Spirit brings that to your mind and you ask me the question, I should be cut to the heart by the Spirit of God. You don't need to kind of manipulate this God thing. So well, it's, is it's that act- kind of in the realm of what we're talking about? Yeah, I think it's, it's in light of our cowardice i don't want to say what i want i don't want to say i'm making this choice i don't want to have the spine to say hey i'm sensing something and i want to ask you this question yeah so we hide behind god Mm. by saying i feel led to or the spirit told me to in a way that's really counterproductive and actually inhibits conversation and it dehumanizes the person and what we're really saying it, that's a, a form of taking the lord's name in vain is mm-hmm. is spiritualizing our desires and spiritualizing what we just want to do in the name of obedience or something like that yeah huh and and it is a conversation under because you can argue with god so would there ever be a time where you would say hey i really feel led to do this or i it, i sense that god is maybe calling me to say this or to do this or like would you just kind of strike that out of your vocabulary 
Or would you ever, would you ever use, you know, would you ever talk like that? I think in hindsight, there's wow, the spirit took me there. And I do think there is room for the spirit really taking people places. And, but I think the honesty of, Hey, I want to have this conversation or, Hey, I want to do this. And obviously our spirit is knit with God's spirit. Their spirit is working in yeah, us. Sure. But a lot of the times the way it actually ends up playing out is people just are doing what they want and saying, God, God obviously wants me to do what I want. Mm. I do think generally speaking, if we are like mindful of this, do not take the Lord's name in vain thing. Most of us, myself included, will be a lot slower to say, I feel led to, or the Spirit's telling me, or sure. I'm not concerned about it. Yeah, it other, otherwise, it just feels kind of cheap. Yeah, it's worthless. Mm-hmm. That's like the word. Like, don't yeah. don't throw it around in vain. Like, sure. this is God's name we're talking about here. And if I say, God wants me to slap you in the face, and then I slap you in the face, <laughs> now I have misrepresented the name of God. Yeah. Right? It just, it'd be just like if someone, uh, like I imagine like some of my law enforcement friends, if they saw someone wearing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt, which, and the person meant by that, you know, um, all the negative things that cops tend to feel like that shirt might mean, and that person was also wearing, like, waving a Blue Lives Matter flag, they'd be like, hey, you can't do that. Like, you're, there's a contradiction there, mm-hmm. right? And I'm not saying they should or shouldn't feel that way, but there's like the, hey, these two, this is oil and water. You know, either it's this or it's that. And that's like the dominant cultural view of a lot of this is it's oil and water. It's either your black lives matter or your blue lives matter. And someone trying to like wave the blue lives matter flag and wear a black lives matter shirt. It wouldn't, it wouldn't really work. I'd kind of like to see someone try just cause it'd be fun to see someone break, get a lot break of views, the conventions. You get a but, lot of views on TikTok. you know, yeah. like it, that's how you, that's how you do it. But it, it's like, don't wave the Jesus flag and then be cruel to me and accuse me of something. Yeah. You know who accuses people of things? Satan. So, I'm feeling led by the spirit to accuse you. Yeah. Okay. Well, actually Satan is the accuser. So now you're kind of more being marked by satanic process than spiritual process. So let's talk about maybe some other examples because it feels like, okay, wearing a bracelet's a thing, or maybe some people would wear a certain kind of jewelry to try to communicate something. And, you know, literally I don't think people are like waving the flag. Maybe the closest thing to that would be stickers you put on your car or, you know, Jesus fish would be an example um, obviously we've talked about this kind of prefacing things with the Lord is telling me or the Lord's leading me, but I have to think that there's more subtle ways that we take the Lord's name in vain than, than those examples. I think the most obvious way, which is like something we do possibly all the time is calling ourselves Christians and then sinning. Okay. Right. So in one sense, every time a Christian sins, we have also taking the Lord's name in vain because mm. it you're going, nah, I want this instead of God or yeah. I don't want, I want to submit to my will or my desires or the desires of the world and not the desires of the Lord. And so this is one of the reasons I, th- I think John Calvin talked about this. And if not, I can take credit for it, but it sounds like <laughs> a John Calvin thing. Like whenever you sin, you're always breaking multiple commandments at the same time. Sure. You're always putting another God before God and you're always taking the Lord's name in vain and you're always doing the particular sin. Yep. Right? So if I go commit adultery tomorrow, I have put another God over God, which is sex or uh, something like that, and I've taken the Lord's name in vain because I'm saying I'm a Christian, I'm associated with Jesus, Yep. and I've committed the sin of lust. Like yep. you're, And so there's always, this is one of the reasons why I think 
having a really big view of sin matters is because it's there's never even just one sin that you can commit at a time. Mm-hmm. You're always sinning in layers all the time. Yeah. And so recognizing that we contribute in our individual sins, we contribute to the poor brand of God. Mm. Right. Just like if I'm trying to think, you know, I was moving and Cox internet. <laughs> sure. Right. I think I had seven interactions with them until my thing got fixed. And the last guy who came, his name was Jeff and he was phenomenal. Like the there you guy, go, Jeff. Yeah. Awesome. If I'm like Cox upper management, mm-hmm. I'm paying Jeff more <laughs> than a lot of the other employees that I have. Yeah. Cause he was warm. He was kind. He was on time. He was quick. He was efficient. It was a humanizing encounter. I've had zero problems since I encountered Jeff and the Cox brand is served by Jeff. The other six people I talked to before, and Jeff was my last experience. So right now I'm like, Cox isn't that bad. <laughs> sure. If you talk to me after person number six, if I had like six bad interactions in a row, I'd be like, Cox, internet, right? Death. Yeah, you know, sure. I would rather stone age it, and you know, but it's the same thing. Is like if we all are carrying the name of Jesus, carrying the name of Christ, calling ourselves Christians, we have to ask the question: How am I contributing to Jesus's brand? Am I faithfully representing it? Am I uh, helping my neighbors love Jesus? Or is my sinful abrasiveness? And I'm not saying that like we need to like do PR for Jesus and soften his teaching and go back on the hard stuff he said. But it's like if people reject Jesus for what's true about Jesus, then that is what it is and we can't yeah. do anything about it. But if people are rejecting Jesus because we're bad brand ambassadors, yeah, that's a huge problem. Well, well let, me, let me ask this though because I feel like there is a kind of – uh, there's a kind of Christianity that some people have experienced that felt like um, I had to act a certain way because I wanted to help the brand look good. And and it led to a kind of phony, superficial, playing the part, playing the role, because I got to protect the brand of, of Jesus. And so I don't think we'd say that we want that at all. right? Part of the brand of Jesus is that when you sin – there's, you can honestly admit it and you can come to the throne of grace and receive grace and receive mercy, but with, with an honest and real repentance, um, I'd be, I'd be nervous about saying, Hey, if you know, I gotta, I gotta play the part. I gotta keep up appearances. Cause I, cause I don't want to take the name of the Lord in vain, which in a way would be a kind of taking the name of the Lord in vain. Yeah. Yeah. So Romans two twenty four. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Hmm. Explicitly talking about the hypocrisy of the Jewish people. So there is this reality that that can be fulfilled in us. The name of God can be blasphemed among the nations because of us. Sure. That's not talking about. So what makes someone a Christian is not their moral purity. It's their repentance and faith. Hmm. Yeah. And so we are not to be projecting this image of phony moral purity. I mean, we want to pursue moral purity, but what makes us Christians is not our moral purity. What makes us Christians is our commitment to repentance and faith in Jesus. So there's congruence, there's honesty, there's authenticity, there's real engagement Yeah. that when we, so I'm going to sin against my non-Christian neighbors. That's just going to happen. But what will make me distinctly Christian is repenting. Yeah. Going to them, apologizing, yeah, owning, owning up it. to it. Like, yeah. Hey, because even like that, uh, 
we can repent in ways we can think we're repenting when we're not repenting. Well, this is what's interesting is we are, we are the first six Cox employees and we're Jeff. Yes. You know, as followers of Jesus, like, absolutely, like we're, we're constantly blowing it and making it look like, man, this name is not really good. And if we have real faith, we should be making it right, repenting, turning around, asking forgiveness. Well, cause our, our default, changing. our default mode as Christians as humans in general, is to be defensive and to minimize, right? Hey, I'm sorry that I did this thing to you. That's not really the way I am. I was having a bad day. Okay, that's that's also taking the Lord's name in vain. Because part of taking the Lord's name in, in honesty is, no, I'm a sinner, mm. and Jesus extended me grace. So like, hey, I'm sorry that I, the way I am, the way I am. Like, I want to I wanna be changing. Because it's one thing to deal with the bad instances that you have had. It's nothing to deal with the fact that you're not who God wants you to be. That's yeah. a deeper level of repentance of going, sure. I need to be a different way. And so what I don't want anyone to do is to go around going, am I taking the Lord's name in vain? And therefore project some phony image of fake moral purity and pretending like everything's fine. But it's actually what I've seen is actually more helpful to people is like that honesty of like publicly and and by publicly I mean in front of our friends and neighbors. I don't mean like on Facebook necessarily. Just being brutally honest with our own shortcomings and sinfulness and the fact that God is patient with us. Yeah. And that our sin does not destroy us, mm. but our sin, like we're not surprised by it. I cannot believe I would do something like that. Yeah. Because Christians go, I believe I would do something like that. Sure. And I wish I wouldn't, but I do. And Jesus is changing me slowly slower than I want over time. And so even that, like taking on the Lord's name is being an emblem both to his lordship and to his graciousness. Mm. Yeah. That if me only talking about my moral purity is actually not me representing the graciousness and patience of Jesus well. Mm-hmm. I'm actually minimizing that aspect of his character in favor of only his holiness. Yeah. But his holiness and his mercy are part of what make him who he is. And so when I'm honest about the ways that Jesus is changing me and still has yet to change me, I'm representing his, his mercy and grace in addition to his holiness. Yeah. So when I um, do what I really want to do, but I kind of dip it into the name of Jesus or I dip it into the name of my religion, but it's really just what I want to do. That's saying the name, the name of the Lord in vain. Uh, when I sin and just misrepresent God. Um, and then when I compound that by not owning up to it, I'm, taking the, the name of the Lord in vain. Are there other examples? Are there other things you see, other places in, in you, in us, uh, where where we're, we should watch out for this? I think an ongoing tension that I think, I, I hope Redemption Gateway that we as a church live in is this reality that politics is constantly co-opting the name of Jesus in the name of God to serve their own partisan agenda. And so there's not a Democrat and there's not a Republican who is not always being tempted to take the name of the Lord in vain to support their own policy agenda, mm. right? There are people who will tell you it is God's will that you tax the billionaires 20%. And there are people who will tell you it is God's will to tax the billionaires 40%. And it's like, can we stop dragging God's name into this? Sure. Yeah. Right. This, this is, these are questions of economics and math and like, this is, there are no Bible verses that say sure. God's will on taxation rate. And so we need to stop acting like that's going on. We even talked to a number of people who say, well, 
Christians need to have X view of the Constitution. I'm like, what Bible verse do you have for that? Yeah. And, and I just think that there's this constant pull of, uh, and, I, and honestly right now, it depends on like where you're sitting, what part of the nation you're in, that whether you're talking about um, race or you're talking about policing or you're talking about taxation or you're talking about uh, government involvement in marriage licensing, it's like people constantly are bringing God's name into the discussion yeah. in a way well, that's I, I drove, really counterproductive. I drove by maybe a month or so ago. I think it was at American Leadership Academy, the one over in Gilbert by the across from the temple. And uh, I don't know if it was at there or if I just saw the banner right there, but there was a banner there about, hey, come to this event celebrating the divinely inspired U.S. Constitution. Oof. And I was like, wow, that is that is a claim. Um, and... And then I was grieved by thinking, you know what? If we had that event at our church, a lot of our people would love coming to it. Mm. And um, to the degree that's true, I think it reveals some of what you're saying. Is like, I'm I'm really thankful for the U.S. Constitution. I think it's kind of a, in a sense, a a miracle of humanity. <laughs> I mean, it's just there, there's a lot great about it but I would not in any way want to remotely claim that it's on the same level as the Bible, which I think is divinely inspired. Um, and so, yeah, that, I, it feels like there is that, there is that temptation all the time. Yeah. Mostly what I really want is for us to have the category that I can apply God's name to my desires. And that is violating this commandment. Mm. Like I don't want, like you said, when you're early on in your Christian faith, you just stub your toe and say GD or something. And you're like, well, I don't I do didn't that. even need to stub my toe to say it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anything could happen that I just am not immediately on board with. And I would just throw that out there. Yeah. That, that there is like this, we are at risk of breaking this commandment all the time. And so I do think that there needs to be a, a more openness to just saying, uh, hey, I want to do this. Yeah. Right? It's not wrong to do something because you want to do it unless it's sin. Right. Saying, hey, I because I, I just want us to be have the courage to say, here's what I want. Here's what I don't want. Instead of having to hide behind God's name, which damages his name and reinforces our cowardice. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that I also hope that we this conversation just helps us be more mindful that we are carrying his name. Yes. As followers of Jesus. Right. We're about to celebrate baptisms. And it's like every person getting baptized in a sense is coming out of that water draped in the Jesus flag. You know, as that water drips down around them, that water is is emblematic of saying, I'm carrying the name. I'm identifying myself with Jesus. I've gone down into the waters of death. I'm coming up out of the grave, just like Jesus came out of the grave. I'm united to him. I'm connected to his people. This is this public declaration of, of relationship and identification with, with Jesus. And so as followers of Jesus who've been baptized and who are walking with him, that is our reality. And, um, man, it's just so easy to forget it. It's easy to kind of think, oh, I'm living for me or I'm living for these other flags. But to go, no, that is the flag I want to live for, and I want to not have it over me in vain. Yeah, I do think that one of the ways that we, in small ways, actually participate in this is by trying to get people to become Christians by like selling them on the benefits mm. without educating them about the costs. Mm. Right? Jesus said, if anyone follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. 
right? This deny yourself as you're going all the other flags, all the other things that make me an interesting person or need to hang below the Jesus flag. Yeah. And that feels like death a lot of the time. And just this reality that there's people I know who are walking away from the faith or walking away from the faith that they said they had. Yeah. Speaking, especially on around the issue of sexual ethics saying it is dehumanizing to ask someone to not do what they want sexually. It is dehumanizing to not tell someone that their gender identity is not a fact. It is dehumanizing to tell someone. And I don't think it's dehumanizing. I do think it is a denial of self. Yeah. And if you're not okay with asking someone to deny themselves and take up their cross, you're not okay with asking them to follow Jesus. Yeah. And if we are not okay with denying ourselves and taking up the cross, then we are not okay with following Jesus. And we should just be honest. And that's that's the thing I appreciate about these folks who are walking away. They're being honest. Yep. I don't want to wave that flag if it means that I have to get rid of these other flags. Mm. And I appreciate the honesty and the congruence and the commitment there. And I actually see in that person to some degree, I don't want to take the Lord's name in vain. Right. I'm not going to associate with this if I'm not going to really associate with this. Mm -hmm. And that counting the cost and piecing out, like when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what do I need to do? Jesus says, sell everything. Jesus lets the guy walk away. Right. We don't know how that story ends. And part of in our own hearts, we have to have room for letting people walk away, and we don't know how the story ends. But trying to, like, sell people on, no, Jesus yeah, won't. Yeah, Jesus doesn't chase him. Wait, 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 wait. You misunderstood. I, I, it's not It's not that Let me bad. clarify. Yeah. 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 And so there, there will be people in our church, around our church, who have to go, oh, well, I don't want to take the Lord's name in vain, so I'm not going to take it at all. Yeah. And that's tragic, but it's better than being lukewarm and spit out of Jesus' mouth. Well, I think that's a good place to end. I, I appreciate your thought on this. This is probably more than most of us have ever thought about this issue of taking the Lord's name in vain. I think it's it's really helpful. And uh, we are carrying the name. Wherever you're going as you're listening, you're carrying the name of Jesus. Uh, if you're one of his people, and uh, we want to do that faithfully. So thanks for listening, uh, Seth. Thanks for your thought on this. And uh, we'll be back next time with King and Culture. See you later. Bye. Bye.